coming up in this episode. Even during the darkest days of the uh, Cold War, the United States and the Soviet Union conducted a robust dialogue on nuclear weapons. Since 2011, there has been no further dialogue on arms control, on nuclear weapons in general. And this is very troubling. And Dr. Robert Burroughs, senior advisor on Russia and Eurasia at the Nuclear Threat Initiative, is troubled because of the possibility of misunderstandings. The worst case scenario, obviously, would be some type of, of detonation of uh, nuclear materials or radiologic materials, something we all believe would be the, the most horrible scenario imagined. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by TrueCar. There's something about TrueCar a lot of people don't know. Using TrueCar can also help you buy a used car. In fact, there are more than 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from TrueCar certified dealers nationwide. Whether you're looking to buy new or used, you can get upfront pricing information that empowers, discounts off the list price for used cars, and a better buying experience through the TrueCar certified dealer network. You'll see what other people paid for the car you want so you can know what a fair price is and feel confident. And with TrueCar, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing. Once you register with TrueCar, you'll see a real price on actual inventory. This is competitive pricing offered to you only by a TrueCar certified dealer for an actual vehicle on their lot. TrueCar shows their customers all of their available incentives before they arrive at the dealership. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Joining us on our program today is Robert Burroughs, Senior Advisor for Russia and Eurasia at the Nuclear Threat Initiative. It's a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization founded in 2001, for those of you not familiar with it, by former U.S. Senator Sam Nunn and philanthropist Ted Turner. Their job is to prevent catastrophic attacks and accidents with weapons of mass destruction and disruption. And that includes nuclear, biological, radiological, chemical, and cyber. And Bob, we want to talk about the U.S. and Russia. In the last year, the nuclear situation between the U.S. and Russia has worsened significantly. And by that, I mean there has been discussions and talk about increasing the number of nuclear weapons that both sides have. So what I want from you is to put that into perspective. Let me mention several points, J.J. Uh, first of all, even during the darkest days of the uh, Cold War, the United States and the Soviet Union conducted 
a robust dialogue on nuclear weapons, which led to a series of arms control negotiations and treaties that reduced significantly the nuclear stockpiles in uh, both countries. Since uh, 2011, when uh, both the United States and Russia signed the New START Treaty, which further reduced the stockpiles down to 1,550 uh, war, uh, deployed warheads, there has been no further dialogue on arms control, on nuclear weapons in general. And this is very troubling. Uh, we just learned officially the United States has declared that Russia is in violation of the Intermediate Forces, uh, 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 sorry, the INF Treaty, Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty, which was signed in 1987 to eliminate an entire class of uh, missiles, that is the intermediate medium range missiles, missiles that have a striking capability ranging from 500 to 5,000 uh, kilometers. The Russians have been testing for some time. We have been protesting uh, what they have been doing. And now uh, our uh, vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff today at, co at a hearing on the Hill uh, said that Russia has de deployed these ground launch cruise missiles that are in violation of the treaty. So we are moving in just the wrong, in precisely the wrong direction that we want to be going in terms of reducing nuclear weapons, having a dialogue on nuclear weapons, having a dialogue on strategic stability, and reducing the threat of, uh, of nuclear use, be it by accident, be it by miscalculation, or be it by clear intent. Okay, there's a lot there. So let me unpack it this way and begin by asking, why do you believe there's been no further dialogue on this very important issue since 2011? Well, it's a very complicated issue. First of all, um, we have achieved a certain level of, of reduction, which uh, I think uh, certainly both sides feel very comfortable with. The United States, during the Obama administration, looked at further reductions. They thought that we could reduce our forces by about a third, down to about 1,000 uh, warheads. The Russians, however, were not interested in this, uh, and they have a very different view of if we go forward with arms control, how we should do it. And they want to take a much more comprehensive approach that will uh, bring in third countries such as China, uh, the UK, France, and their nuclear systems. Uh, they want to look at the issue of missile defense. They want to look at the issue of prompt uh, global strike, that is uh, conventional weapons. Uh, and it's a question of how do we actually begin this dialogue and what is going to be the nature of it? And the sides cannot come to an agreement. Plus, we have, of course, seen the uh, deterioration of relationship, which has reached a level that was probably the worst during the Cold War. So you said your trouble, the deterioration, obviously, between the U.S. and Russia on this important matter. Russia's interested in some things the U.S. is not interested in. Seems to me like the Russians may be moving the goalpost a bit. Just how troubled are you? I think probably one of the things that bothers me most is the lack of dialogue, the lack of any type of discussion between the United States and Russia on nuclear issues. This can only lead to misunderstandings, miscalculations, and accidents. Uh, there is one slight 
uh, ray of hope recently. We've seen in the past two months discussions resume at the senior military level uh, between the United States and Russia. We had a meeting last month in Baku of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and his Russian uh, counterpart. And then just recently in, in Turkey, uh, the same two plus the uh, head of the Turkish military to look over, discuss issues of uh, deconflicting some of the problems in Syria. So at least dialogue is beginning. I hope this is a sign that this is going to continue because this is essential. When you when you look at this pace that we're at in the world right now, everything is taking place very fast. Technology is developing a heck of a lot faster than Moore's law predicted or suggested that it should. But that's just a sign of the times that we live in. All of the events that take place on the battlefield take place at hyperspeed now, and that's because of the march of technology. And there is this concern about the possibility that rogue elements out there in the world that may be associated with, or not, terrorism, might get their hands on something akin to a nuclear weapon. Do you see that risk when you look at the Russia situation as it relates to the U.S.? Yes, there certainly is. Of course, it's not just the Russian situation. Uh, there are loose nuclear materials spread around the globe. Uh, and Russia has done, I think, uh, quite a good job since uh, the start of the Nunluga programming, securing nuclear materials. But nevertheless, uh, there are still vulnerabilities. Uh, there are vulnerabilities in other countries. And I would raise the issue not only of nuclear materials, but also radiological materials, mm -hmm. which are available throughout the world uh, in non-nuclear uh, facilities, I mean, hospitals and construction sites, and the ability uh, of terrorists to grab uh, hold of uh, radiological materials is, is certainly a lot easier than, than nuclear materials. Mm -hmm. And while they will not spread uh, or cause uh, widespread um, death and destruction, nevertheless, they will have an unbelievable effect on the economy of the country in which a radiological weapon, dirty bomb goes off. Mm -hmm. So this is of great concern as well. Okay, I want to go back to something you said a little earlier. I just wanted some context on this, you know, what troubled you about this, and, and then just drill down into a little bit of why, and those elements we just discussed in terms of loose nuclear material, the nuclear weapons, accidents, purposeful use. You mentioned earlier that the U.S. believes Russia's in violation of a very key agreement when it comes to nuclear weapons. How did the U.S. discover that, and what were the circumstances of the discovery? Well, this has been an ongoing uh, issue for, for a number of years, going back into the Obama administration. Um, obviously, we have our intelligence sources, uh, and uh, we were able to detect Certainly, the testing of this of this cruise missile, the ground launch cruise missile, and it was raised repeatedly by the uh, U.S. government in discussions with with the Russians, uh, and uh, the Russians have continued to deny it, and they they countercharged the United States as doing a similar type of thing. Well, of course, it was not true. So it's been an ongoing issue. It's been clear from our intelligence gathering sources as well as from information about their testing program that we know about this missile. Is that an isolated incident where you have this departure between the U.S. and Russia on ideas, agreements, and efforts designed to make the world a safer place, 
other areas where the U.S. and Russia are not seeing eye to eye, that could be a problem down the road. Well, I think the U.S. and Russia have parted the ways numerous times uh, over over the decades. Um, but and that's and that's okay. I mean, that's understandable. Their interests are different. Uh, their goals are different. Uh, but what is missing now, and what we've had in the past is the, the dialogue between the two sides to overcome those differences, to get a better understanding of what the other side means, what the other side is trying to do. Uh, and without that dialogue, this is when we open ourselves up to miscalculation, misunderstanding, and perhaps accident. So when you say miscalculation and misunderstanding, it seems as though you're saying you're worried about the possibility that that could lead to the deployment of a nuclear weapon. Uh, is that is that what I hear you saying? Well, I'm not so much the nuclear, nuclear weapons are, are much more difficult to get, but nuclear materials, certainly. Yeah. And I've talked about the radiological issue as well. Those issues are still uh, very much on the table. We've seen references in the past to Al-Qaeda's uh, claim that it seeks to acquire nu uh, nuclear materials. So we know terrorists want to acquire nuclear materials. Of course, it is not that easy. But their goal is still the same, and the threat possibility still exists. We heard recently the Islamic State group was trying to engage on that front as well. But, but we also know, as you were talking about the radiological material, um, specifically in an area that the Islamic State controls, hospitals, you know, there's a, at least a minimum amount of material available at hospitals in, 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 the, in that region. But are you talking about radiological material on a grander scale? You know, you don't need that much uh, radiological material in, uh, in order to create devastation. If a radiological device were to be deployed, for example, in New York City, could you just imagine the devastation that it would cause, not so much in terms of destruction, but in terms of the impact on the economy, on, on the population uh, in, in, in general? So. You know, you can get small amounts of material and in almost any place in the world. It doesn't have to be, for example, in Mosul, where there was some radiological material in a hospital. It could be any place in the world where uh, the terrorists seek and find it easier to acquire access to this material. In reality, looking at where the U.S. and Russia are right now, it just doesn't look very promising. Uh, and are there any fail-safes? out there to rescue this situation if it continues to worsen? I, I think the only failsafe is leadership on the part of both countries at, at the highest level. Uh, without that leadership, uh, we are going to continue to drift into more dangerous and dangerous waters. What is your scenario for what could be the most dangerous scenario that we could possibly face as a result of this drift? What do you see as the most dangerous place this drift could take us to? Well, certainly, um, well, the worst case scenario, obviously, would be some type of, of detonation of uh, nuclear materials or radiological materials. And that is something, obviously, that we, we all uh, believe would be the most horrible scenario imaginable. What is it that we need to know about that I haven't asked you about today as it relates to this subject? Well, we've talked about uh, the nuclear issue, I think, in considerable detail. Uh, there's one other issue, I think, that we need to uh, 
drill down into a little bit, and I think you raised this in previous email, and that's the question of how the Russians, the Russians recently announced, let me phrase it this way, the Russians recently announced that as the Minister of Defense, that they are creating what they call information warfare troops, um, which uh, have become a component of their warfighting capability. And by warfighting, I don't mean just uh, a, a kinetic action. I'm talking about uh, a very sophisticated uh, and very effective way of winning a battle without going to war in the in the classical classical sense. And uh, this we've seen this over the past several years. Certainly, the first time it really emerged in full force was regarding Ukraine and the Russian seizure of Crimea, but we've seen it further evolve throughout um, Russia's information offensive in Eastern Europe and the Baltic states, among the Russian population, particularly in Estonia and Latvia, uh, throughout the Ukraine. We've seen it happening in, uh, the, in, in Europe in terms of uh, Russian involvement in uh, Political, political affairs of those countries, and specifically with election campaigns. We've had our own case here. The uh, main intelligence director, the GRU of the Ministry of Defense, has been directly tied to some of the alleged hacking of the, uh, of the DNC. So this is an aspect of, of conflict uh, at a very different level that the Russians are developing and perfecting at a level perhaps that we have not yet reached yet. And this is something that requires much more attention on our part to be able to counter this. Because uh, I, I saw a quote recently by General Baluyevsky, who was retired now, a former chairman uh, of a former uh, chief of the general staff. And he said, winning information warfare can be much more important than victory in the classical military conflict because it is bl bloodless, yet the impact is overwhelming. And this is something which I think our armed forces uh, and NATO forces need to be paying much more attention to. And not just the armed forces, the government in general. Very interesting you make, you bring that up because I spent some time in uh, Bulgaria recently with NATO. Good amount of time. And this was a key topic that was explored uh, in the meetings and the sessions that I had the privilege of engaging in. And one of the things that came up during that time frame was the Russians have been at this for a while. They didn't just decide in September of last year, we're going to engage in this campaign. Some suggested that they essentially had uh, begun their activities back in Estonia in the early 2000s, Georgia in 2008. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, we had the situation in Ukraine a couple of years ago, uh, and the U.S. last year, uh, now we see evidence of engagement in Germany, in France, in other places. Um, my question to you then is, how sophisticated do you think this info warfare campaign of theirs is? I think it's developed significantly, as you pointed out, uh, over the past number of years. You know, it traces its roots back to uh, the Soviet propaganda and counter-propaganda activities uh, that we've seen for for uh, for decades, but it's much more sophisticated, uh, and it's using. I mean, it involves cyber, 
It involves manipulation of the mass media. Um, it's uh, something which I think is has developed. Uh, the fact that the Minister of Defense decided to go public with it uh, last last month is a sign that they feel confident in the development of this capability and will continue to to improve on it. Have you heard of something called the Gerasimov Doctrine? Uh, yes, it has. Yes, it, it has to do with what we term hybrid warfare. Warfare. Do you believe that the U.S. is prepared? to engage in this hybrid warfare campaign with the Russians as it stands now. The way it all was explained to me is that the Russians don't view kinetic warfare as the leading edge of their weapons arsenal. They believe that the information warfare campaign, a broader campaign, is the leading edge, and kinetic warfare is just one of the tools that they use to achieve to achieve their objectives and and based on what you know, are we able to deal with this right now? It's hard for me to answer that. I don't have access to classified information. Uh, I would hope so. Uh, again, it's it's a long-term process. Uh, the constant leaks of classified information about our capabilities is not helpful. Uh, but I uh, would I have confidence in our in the Pentagon and in our intelligence organizations that they are working very hard to develop these capabilities and improve them and counter what the Russians are up to. Robert Burles, you're always a fascinating interview. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Coming up in the next episode of Target USA. Today, we believe that uh, President Trump is the right president to bring my father home. That's David Levinson, his father, Robert has been missing for 10 years. He was kidnapped on Kish Island in Iran on March 9th, 2007. In uh, December of 2007, so several months after my father went missing, my mother and my older brother uh, traveled to Iran um, and to Kish Island to retrace my father's steps. Um, they saw his uh, signature on the hotel manifest and they um, saw where he stayed. Um, and uh, uh, but unfortunately didn't receive any answers as to what happened to him during that visit. The last proof of life images were six years ago, but David says his father's alive. I 100% believe he's alive, as do the rest of my family and everybody else in this country, including the media and including our government, should believe that as well. The full story in our next episode. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey guys, David Smalley here, reminding you to check out Dogma Debate on the Podcast One app, iTunes, and basically everywhere else you could possibly hear a podcast. Dogma Debate is basically a way for you to peek in on conversations you've always wondered about. Say a hardcore anti-gay preacher meets an atheist who knows the Bible like the back of his hand, or a far-left social justice warrior meets a different kind of liberal who doesn't want to join in on the riots. On Dogma Debate, I talk to people who completely disagree with me, and I let them tell me why they think I'm wrong, why I should be on their team, and why they take such an extreme stance. And sometimes you'll just hear me hanging out with like-minded people and laughing during segments like Republicans Say the Darndest Things or Fact Check Yo Mama. It all happens on Dogma Debate, right here on Podcast One.